may we respond in healthy and appropriate ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Could be seated. Well, I just want to give praise to God this morning that the Patriots lost. Hey! It's a good day in the house of the Lord when the Patriot, Patriot, Patriots lose. That's right, that's right. Glad he didn't. I uh, have someone that's fairly close to me who believes in Jesus, believes that God loves her, but doesn't believe that God is involved in her daily life. And I assume she probably came to that conclusion because uh, she didn't feel like God answered some prayers that she had and she was disappointed in that. But the truth is that Jesus, the creator, came to this earth to show us what God is like, big picture, uh, opened the way for salvation to anyone who would receive him, and uh, even impacted the way that we view time. We talked about that a couple of a couple of weeks ago. But it seems to me that the way God usually impacts the world is through one individual at a time. He impacts one person, and that person then in turn impacts other people. But Jesus definitely is involved in our daily lives. You think about thought about some incidents in his life. He, he ruined a perfectly good funeral. He ruined a lynching. You know, when the woman caught in adultery was going to be stoned to death, he intervened. He, he uh, prevented a huge Uber, Uber Eats when he fed 5,000. And he... Help somebody not go to the mental hospital, the demoniac. If we invite Jesus into the everyday events of our lives, he will impact those events in positive and practical ways. We've seen that happen over and over again. I don't know that I've ever taught on this passage of Scripture before. It's John chapter 2, page 1063 in the Bible. It's under the seat there if you want to turn there. The story of Jesus changing the water to wine. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, it translates it in the NIV to soften it a little bit. It, it just says woman. But we kind of interpret that as being a harsh statement of, without the dear woman part there. He said, woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Isn't that just like a mom? She says, do something. He said, don't worry about it. She said, do whatever he tells you. Kind of assumes he's going to do something about that. 
Nearby stood six stone water jars, that, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had much to drink. But you have saved the best till last. This is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. Isn't it interesting that the first sign is Jesus turning water into wine? I'm sure for many people that disturbs them greatly. (laughs) Imagine the most embarrassing, potentially embarrassing moment in your life and Jesus enters and intervenes. That's really the point of this story. In that culture, a wedding lasted seven days. Can you imagine? Started on Wednesday and it was one long party. Seven days of celebration and it affected Not only this young couple, it would be, undoubtedly it would be the most important day of their life, the high point of their life, and would have impacted the whole village. But they ran out of wine. I have some interesting memories about weddings, maybe you do too. Had a bridesmaid pass out twice. She fell down Set her in the front row. She got back up, fell down again. (laughs) Uh, I forgot to go to the rehearsal of the first wedding I ever did. (laughs) Fortunately, there was somebody else participating in the service. The first wedding at Faith Chapel was a young couple. This was in the hippie days. And this girl named Tammy, and his name was Tim, and he was he was a definite hippie. She was she was crazy. One of those people that just makes everything funny. And when I said, "Do you take this man to be your husband?" She did this. She just stood back and she looked at him, looked looked him up and down. I guess. <laughs> uh, I think I told you about Dennis and Denise. Married this couple. I've never done this since. Married this couple, and I kept referring to them as Dennis and Denise. And during the prayer, I prayed for Denise, and I heard her say, it's Deanna. And uh, I just just kept it up. To this day, when I see her, I don't say her name because I'm afraid I'm going to screw it up. Uh. Terry, my oldest daughter, the day that uh, she and Dave got married, uh, I had no idea what to expect. I was downstairs with her, and we talked and prayed and laughed and had fun. 
But when the wedding march started and I started walking her down the aisle, I lost it. I was I was undone. Ginger didn't know if I was going to be able to finish the wedding or not. One of the funniest things that happened, it's, this was uh, before the wedding, not during the wedding, fortunately, but <coughs> Jim Bode Scott, who attends our church, he usually comes in the second service. His daughter and son and future son-in-law were going to be married, and some somehow the the uh, pastor couldn't do the wedding. So so Jim Bode called me, says, Preacher. He always calls me Preacher. Preacher, you able to step in and do a wedding for my daughter? I said, sure, I'd be glad to, Jim. And then I found out afterwards that when he was talking to his son-in-law about me, because he didn't know me, he said, uh, well, you need to know something. I don't remember the guy's name. He said, you need to know something about this preacher. He's kind of quirky. Said he's gonna before he'll marry you, he's gonna make sure you're circumcised. <laughs> the guy said, Well, is he gonna check or what? You know? <laughs> that was probably the, probably the funniest experience that I, that I had. But the point of this sermon is imagine preparing for the biggest day of your life. There's a huge celebration about to take place. And you run out of wine. I don't know how to compare that in our culture other than, you know, there's a big feast, big dinner, and you show up and there's nothing to eat. Well, this was a week-long celebration, huge, huge celebration. And they would have been very, very embarrassed. It would have been a horribly embarrassing thing for them. There's a scripture in Psalm 104, 14. I know people have mixed feelings about wine for good reason. I love this scripture. It says, wine that gladdens the heart of man. Oil to make his face shine and bread that sustains his heart. Now we all know that people abuse alcohol. Obviously inappropriate. Uh, I was raised to be a teetotaler. It was unthought of that that uh, I would have a glass of wine. I've since changed my feelings about that. But I realize it's a huge thing to a lot of people because of uh, family or incidents that have taken place in their past. My good friend Joe Whitworth, who pastors in Spokane, his dad was an alcoholic, beat on his mother, beat on the kids, and and he's a teetotaler to this day. I mean, he won't think about drinking anything because of how his dad treated the family. It was It was horrible. But in that culture, to this day, wine is a very important part of their life. There, there are mixed scriptures on this. There are lots of cautions, lots of warnings about wine. Uh, one of the scriptures that's a positive one, says give old people wine, you know, to cheer them up, people who are suffering. So in that culture, the, the idea of making your heart glad was really part of just this celebration. Some of you who don't abuse alcohol, some people just need to stay away from it, period. Some of you who don't abuse alcohol know that how a, conver a dinner conversation will pick up and be happier and glad because of people drinking a little bit of wine. And so this, this uh, 
<clears throat> host and hostess would have been mortified at the idea of running out of wine. And Jesus' mother said to Jesus, you need to do something about this. And Jesus said, woman, and we it, it sounds like in the other translations, this says dear woman, which softens it a little bit, but it's like he's saying, mother, don't worry. You don't understand what's happening here. I got this handle. I got this taken care of. Not to worry. I'll take care, I'll take care of this. And he asked them to bring him <coughs> six urns. I don't remember if I told you this or not, but I have a friend, Mike McGovern, who pastored in Missoula for a number of years, and he, he's preaching on this passage of Scripture, and he said, urinals instead of urns. <laughs> and he just kept saying it. And his wife was trying to get him, if he just kept saying, saying urinals, not a pretty picture. But these are 20-gallon jugs. So he turned 120 gallons of water into wine. That's a lot of wine. Probably indicates something about the size of the crowd that was there for, for a week. And so <clears throat> he turned a bad day into a good day. He saved this young couple embarrassment, saved their wedding, and made a bad thing good. The idea is that he wants to do the same thing in your life. Think of, think of the most embarrassing thing in your life. Maybe it's a sin issue that you're embarrassed about. Maybe it's a situation that you are embarrassed about or potentially embarrassed about. Jesus wants to save you of that embarrassment. I'm embarrassed about some things in my past. But there's a passage that says love covers. God covers those things. Saves us from embarrassing situations. You're potentially embarrassed, but Jesus shows up and steps into the room. I found a quote a few days ago. It says, when he walked into the room, it made me feel as though I were bathed in sunshine. That's a beautiful picture. We, we had a house when we first moved here on Howard Avenue, and it had a huge picture win window facing south. And <clears throat> we were so shocked because it was the coldest winter we'd ever experienced in our lifetime, but our heat bill was almost nothing because the sun shone in that southern exposure window. And, I, and you, know, you know what it's like, don't you? To, where do cats sleep? The heat of the sun. You, you walk into a room and, the, and it's filled with light. And that's the picture of Jesus. He walks into a room and it's filled with warmth and life and light and blessing. Second Samuel twenty two twenty nine 29 says, You are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord turns my darkness into light. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 4, verse 6. <clears throat> says, many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. So one of the things I think we need to acknowledge, I don't know that it's quite as true as it used to be, but when I was growing up, uh, Christians were, were regarded as prudes. 
just like they were known for can't. You can't do this, you can't do that. Why would I want to become a Christian? You can't do this, can't do that. And this is an example of the fact that that certainly wasn't the, the case with Jesus. He doesn't focus on the cans, he focuses on the cans. You remember the Matthew party where he went to the tax collector's booth, the hated man, converted him, and then went to his house and had dinner with all of his friends who were all sinners. And the Pharisees were all upset about that. Oh, why is he eating with those people? But Jesus is the friend of sinners. My, my middle brother, Marlon, was a, was a hoodlum most of his life. And uh, they asked me what, what I wanted to engrave on his tombstone. And I thought about it a minute. I said, friend of sinners. That's my brother, friend of sinners. Jesus was his friend. Jesus talked about the fact that those who are forgiven much love much. You can almost tell in people's lives how, how aware they are of the forgiveness of Jesus in their life by how, they, how joyful they are. So grateful for the many things that God has saved us from. Another quote I found was, when, when Jesus walked into a room, he wore heaven on his face. Can you imagine what it would be like for Jesus to walk into this room right now? You think he'd be sad or frowning? He'd have a big smile on his face like sunshine. Heaven would be on his face. He took people like you and me, and he makes our lives better. The woman caught in adultery, thrown to the ground like a piece of trash. Imagine a woman caught. Doesn't just mean they knew about her adultery. She was caught in the act of adultery. They brought her into the temple courts and threw her on the ground like trash. And of course, Jesus ran them off and took care of her. The woman who was washing his feet with perfume and then drying his feet with her hair. Who does... If he, if he was a prophet, he would, he'd know who's got her, got her hands on him. Who would let that happen? But he rejoiced in it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has seen God at any time, but he has explained him. And there's not a negative thing that you'll find about Jesus. He explained what God is like. God is love and God is joy and peace and hope and forgiveness. Jesus makes our life better. And that's really what this story is all about. On a sad day or an embarrassing day, he wants to intervene and make your life better. I don't know how easily embarrassed you are. It's not so much true with me now. Uh... I've learned how to balance my ups and downs, but when I was a little boy, I was, I was so shy and so easily embarrassed. And I remember spending an afternoon with my uncle, who was a genius. He wrote a college calculus book. He was a br brilliant man. Took a Cadillac apart and put it back together again just for fun. And uh, he was out breaking the sidewalk up, and, uh, 
and cleaning up the mess, we filled this trailer full of concrete, broken concrete. And that night at dinner, my dad was pretty smart too, and so he and he and my uncle Eddie would jest back and forth with each other. And I was probably third or fourth grader, and I was taking my fork and sticking it in my peas to eat. I don't remember what what my uncle said, but it was some kind of a joke about that. And I just burst out crying, totally embarrassed, very easily embarrassed. So I want to ask you this morning, what, what are you embarrassed about? Is there something in your past? Oh, I don't want anybody to know about that. It's embarrassing to me. Maybe something about you as a person, some situation right now that you're potentially embarrassed about. Imagine Jesus walking into the room and taking that embarrassment away and turning it the other way. He, he makes people like us look better. He doesn't step into a room and point out what is wrong. He steps into the room to make things right. That's who Jesus is. So Lord, this morning, I, I just want to hold up every person in this room. If there's something going on in their life where Maybe they're depressed, maybe they're ashamed, maybe they're angry, maybe they're embarrassed. Jesus, would you show up and help them understand that you're not ashamed of them, you're not embarrassed by them, but you want to shine in their life and, and make it better. That's what you do, is you make people better. I can think of people in this room, Lord, who, who've had a tough past, but now you've intervened and you're making their life better and better and better. And I thank you for that.